I preached on discipline before. I don't think ever this many messages at one time. But um, the thing that's impressed me this time, I remember one time in Moody, Dr. Wilbur M. Smith, who uh, left Moody and went to Fuller Seminary and taught there many years. But I remember him so often saying, as he was teaching a book that he had taught many times, and it was very characteristic of Wilbur M. Smith, he would hit himself between the eyes with, with his hand, and he would exclaim before all of us, I never saw that before. I never saw that before. And he would give us some new insight that God had given to him out of the book that he was teaching. Well, I've been amazed how many times in my own life and ministry that that's been characteristic of my own experience. I've taught on discipline. I've believed in it. But I had never seen until this series how reverently God approaches the subject and how he honors those that he's about to discipline. I saw that in Hebrews 12 that I'd never seen before. The tremendous respect, the honor, the dignity that God assigns to those that he's about to express discipline upon in some form. The very words and language of this chapter stresses that. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. As I saw this in Hebrews 12, my mind went to two other books of the Bible that are discipline books. One is the book of Philemon. If you haven't read through the little book of Philemon, you ought to read through it. You want to understand discipline. Paul had a very strong word of instruction, discipline for Philemon. And yet, as you begin that book and read through it and work through it, you discover the tremendous respect, the highness of esteem that the Apostle Paul heaps upon Philemon before he speaks to him about the importance of his welcoming a runaway slave back no longer as a slave, but as a brother, much loved. And now Philemon has to make the adjustment between disciplining a runaway slave and welcoming a precious brother in Christ. It's very enlightening, the highness of esteem that Paul establishes for those to be disciplined. And then the Lord took my thinking to 1 Corinthians. Most of us are aware that the first letter to the Corinthians is a letter of discipline. He took those people uh, to the place of discipline over many problems. They were divided uh, into four party groups. They had severe problems of having a kind of passive attitude about the seriousness of sexual sin and uh, welcoming into their midst as though nothing were going on of a man who was living incestuously with his father's wife. They had uh, severe problems of um, eating meat offered to idols. 
going to court with each other and suing each other. Severe problems related to the Lord's table and even coming to it uh, and drinking to the point where some of them were drunk. There was terrible abuse of the gifts that God had given to the church. And yet as you read that book, the thing that just leaps out at you right from the opening chapter as he talks to these people as though they were the choicest people God had in all the earth. He addresses them as, as people called saints and the dignity and the kindness and the respect with which he administers discipline. And I'm convinced that that is one of the most urgent ingredients in parental discipline is how you communicate to your children that you deeply respect them, you hold them in highest esteem, you honor them, and you love them enough to discipline. And when we discipline our children that way, God is going to honor it, and they will honor us. We've come in our outline to the importance of clarifying the consequences for disobedience. I pointed out in an earlier message that Adam and Eve had a very clearly defined consequence even before the fall of what God expected of them in obedience and what the consequence would be if they did not obey him. And not only did Adam know it, but his wife knew it, as is revealed in that third chapter where Eve was tempted of Satan. Now tonight I would like to try to quickly go through these five points under discipline at the time of first offense, if you are following your outline. And let me share with you some of those very important elements that relate to the practical outworking of discipline. First of all, it is so important to get alone with your child when you discipline him. Do it with dignity and honor for his personal privacy, and integrity. It always disturbs me when I see some parent spanking, roughly shaking, or treating his child in a public place before others. When that happens, you have violated a very important principle of discipline that I've just enumerated, and that is to treat your child with tremendous respect, sensitivity to his privacy, and the fact that you're not in any way wanting to humiliate him before others. You respect him too much for that. Seldom, if ever, discipline your child in public. It's all right when he's acting up wrongly in public to go and, and to say, we will talk later of this very firmly. And even if he continues to disobey your clear guidance of discipline, in fact, I saw a mother doing this just about a week ago, I think it was, where her child was acting in disobedience and public. 
and defying her. Very quietly, I saw her take that little child into the privacy of one of the side rooms. And by the words that her child was saying, I knew that discipline was coming. And I know it did take place. But it was done in that integrity of, of the privacy of um, uh, not being looked upon by others. I mentioned to you sometime back in one of these messages about the last spanking I received from my father when I was about ten, ten and a half years of age. And um, my father uh, took me out to the back yard, back gate. Was outside, but he had instructed my other brothers not to come out and not to look out the window. What he had to do was between him and me. I'll never forget the depth of meaning that came between a father and a son. And the last spanking that my father gave me was in privacy. It was alone. It was with honor to me. And that's the way it ought to be. The very principle <clears throat> taught in the Word about discipline supports that. Another practical thing. When you discipline, clarify the instruction. And this is so very, very important to find out if he really understood what you were saying. In fact, I think it's very important for you to ask him to repeat back to you what he understood the instructions to be so that there is clarity of responsibility on his part. If he didn't understand the instructions, then perhaps the discipline ought to be very mild. With the strengthened warning now, that now that he does understand, that there will be firm discipline should he violate the instructions at a future time. That's a strong biblical principle. Whenever God disciplined his people, uh, he clarified the instructions. I think one of the most evident places that comes out is a matter of discipline we mentioned before concerning when uh, Samuel went to Saul, where Saul had had disobeyed the instructions concerning what was God's instruction to be done with the Amalekites. And let me just read these words, which help us to understand this clarifying of the instructions. Notice how Samuel did it in 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved. And I've, that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep. 
and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Notice what Samuel says. Stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you out on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? You notice that very carefully the instructions were clarified. And of course Saul was in violation of them by his own lips. So clarify the instructions. Very important principle of discipline and honoring. It's not proper to discipline your child severely if he didn't understand what you were really asking him. He will resent your un unfairness. Point number three, convey grief for disobedience with eye-to-eye -eye contact. I think that's such an important thing. Discipline to be effective has to be communication of uh, of spirit to spirit. And somehow you have to convey grief that you're wounded. When God disciplined, He did it always like this. Eye-to-eye -eye contact. You find it again in the case of of uh, David and Nathan in when David had committed that grievous sin with Bathsheba. And Nathan came and told that little story about the sheep. And, and then he looked him right in the eye and he said, David, you're the one. You're the one. God's terrible grief came through the prophet. David felt the hurt of God. He felt God's pain in that moment. Discipline to be effective has to have that spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication. That you feel grief that deliberate disobedience and rebellion has been expressed and it's wounded you. And in your love, it wounds you to have to discipline. Point number four, give only one warning before administering the divine, the uh, defined discipline. Now, I think that uh, all of us appreciate one warning. But it's very important to give only one before you administer it. Failure to do this will lead your child to conclude that your words are not sure, that they're negotiable. And this was, of course, David's problem in disciplining his sons. It was not really carried out. Nothing really happened except he got angry. There's no appropriate discipline. And when he did discipline, of course, it was his son Absalom. It was so brutal, so long-lasting. So non-reconciling that it made an enemy of his son, turned his son's discipline into bitterness and hatred of his own father and a desire to take the kingdom from him. So it's important to give a warning before administering the divine, the 
define discipline, but to give only one, and then to follow through. And the final point is be prepared to follow through on biblical discipline. Now that's an important uh, statement. Be prepared to follow through on biblical discipline. Be careful what you plan to do to discipline. Be careful that it's either biblical from direct biblical command or biblical instruction, or at least it's in harmony with biblical principles. Bill Gothard, in sharing this outline with us, mentioned uh, a little boy who was disobedient to his mother. And his mother said, you do that again and I'll throw you out the window. And uh, he did it again. And Bill Gothard said, my mother threw me out the window. <laughs> right into a snowbank. Well, his point was that it probably was not in the spirit of this statement. Be prepared to follow through on biblical discipline. Now, what is biblical discipline? Well, the most obvious is spanking. That is a strong instruction in the book of Proverbs to use the rod to discipline. But I think we need to have some parameters in this matter of spanking. First of all, it should never be on the face. Never slap your child in the face. Remember, we were talking about respect for the dignity of the person. There's no greater insult to any person than to be slapped in the face. Even if you're the parent, there's great harm to that person when you do that. Never in anger. Spanking is very serious business. But it's not something that should be administered when you're full of anger. You might hurt your child if you do that. If you don't hurt him physically because your anger is so vented up, you beat him instead of spank him. Or it's possible that just your anger has wounded your child emotionally and in his spirit to the point where the spanking will not produce anything but resentment. Never to injure the body. I think God is, has given us a well-padded area that's um, capable of experiencing sufficient pain without uh, any injury to the body. And uh, we need to remember to be careful that spankings are administered in the proper place, sufficiently painful to be remembered, but not to be injurious to the body. And I personally feel spanking should not be administered to teenagers. I'm not saying that's an absolute hard and fast rule, but I think that the Bible recognized that when a child reached 12 years of age, he was an adult. And I think that uh, there are other ways to discipline after our children get to be teenagers other than spanking. And uh, never without restoring. We should not spank our children without if not immediately, very quickly. 
holding them in our arms lovingly and comforting them. Discipline, if it's administered properly, hurts you as much as it hurts your child. It's wonderful when restoration can take place. What are other biblical forms of discipline? I think to withhold privileges is a very important biblical principle of discipline. For a defined period, never withhold what is profitable and desirable. You wouldn't discipline your child by saying you're going to withhold the privilege of him going to church or the youth group. That's where he ought to be. There are other kinds of privileges that can be withheld. Never withhold going to camp where indeed your child may gain Tremendous spiritual benefit. Never something that is harmful in withholding. I don't think it's wise to withhold food from your child. Or withhold rest from your child. Those are not proper things to withhold. Because they can be harmful uh, to the child. Another um, good form of discipline is to assign unpleasant tasks. Um, I told you about my daughters being a part of a race over the tops of the pews in the church I pastored. And my daughter wanted me to, or um, was afraid I was going to give them a spanking, but I didn't. I gave them a job of weeding my flower garden and keeping a pile of their weeds that each one of them took out of the flower garden. And that was a long, hot job. And I think probably one of the best disciplines I ever gave to my children. Can be other things like washing the windows, cleaning the garage, doing something may be unpleasant, but as long as that child understands it's a discipline, it's a good one. Then assign a necessary profitable study that will benefit the one being disciplined. I think uh, one of the best disciplines you can assign is a study of the book of Proverbs on different different subjects uh, might be something like honoring your parents or honoring people in authority. I think one of the best studies that any of us can ever make is to read through the book of Proverbs and compare um, what God says are the marks of a wise person as opposed to the marks of a foolish person and have your child make a list in every chapter of uh, what God says is wise and what God says makes a foolish person. Now that's somewhat of a rigorous discipline to do that. But when your child finishes it and when you hold him accountable, he'll never forget the difference between a wise person and a foolish person according to God's definitions. So we need to be creative in our manner of discipline to follow through on biblical discipline. And God will use it greatly in the lives of your children, just as he uses it greatly in our own lives. God disciplines every one of us. And we need to be aware of that and alert of it at all times. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how good it is to just talk about some of these practical matters now as we've looked at some of the great biblical principles behind discipline. Now to talk about some of the practical outliving of discipline in the home and family. 
So we pray that you'll encourage us together. We would ask you, Lord, to give us all a good attitude toward discipline. Teach us how to respond to the discipline of our God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. The uh, writer and uh, Christian uh, speaker Josh McDowell has combined his gifts with Dr. Norm Wakefield to write a book called The Dad Difference. Now, I mentioned this on this Father's Day, uh, hoping that some of you were motivated to be a good dad. We'll see to it that you get this book and read it. It's a very, very profitable book. Um, he states in it some rather disconcerting facts about Christian dads, at least church dads. One of the statistics that he gives to us is that the average teen in our churches spends only two minutes a day in meaningful dialogue with his dad. Two minutes a day. Twenty-five percent of those teens say that they have never, these are church teens, remember, 25% of these teens say that they have never had a meaningful conversation with their father, a talk that was centered on the interests of a teenager. Now, that's a very, very tragic statistic. And it perhaps is one of the strongest evidences as to why we're in the mess we're in, in our culture. Because if that's true of church dads, think how much more it's true of the world system and those who are a part of it and have no church life. So I'd like to recommend this book. I do have a criticism of it, however, and that is that uh, all matters of discipline are designated as being part of what we might call positive reinforcement, always seeking to um, positively reinforce with suggestions and communication with your children the way that you want them to go. Now, I'm not certainly opposed to that. In fact, I think it's tremendously important. But I was disappointed that this book only has one short paragraph on the subject of discipline. And I just want to read it to you. Discipline also comes under this heading of guidance and counsel. There's your positive reinforcement. The Lord is the perfect Father. He disciplines those He loves. Too often we think of discipline in a negative light, a punishment. We have found a definition that sure makes a lot of sense. And here's the definition these authors have found. Discipline is guiding, educating, and supervising a child's choices. As parents, dads need to be committed to helping develop the capacity for wise decision-making in their children through firm, loving, and instructive discipline. Now, why does that concern me, that that's the only paragraph in an important book on the dad difference? Well, the major reason is not just the series that I'm bringing where my own heart has been so much centered upon God-authored discipline. But I feel it's an affront to a very basic doctrine of Scripture. Now, that doctrine of Scripture is one of the most important that any of us ever learned. 
and that is that every one of us is by nature and by choice sinful. And depending upon our temperament, we live that out in varying degrees of rebellion and opposition to God's ways, our parents' ways, or any authority figures, ways. We want to do our own thing. And our culture has taught us that's what we ought to do. So discipline is necessary because of the sin nature. And it's more than positive reinforcement. It's vital that a, that a dad knows and understands that at times his child can be rebelliously wicked. I know that's a hard thing to admit, but it's true. And in those times, even though it may be very painful both to the father and to the child, it's extremely important that the child learn that this authority figure who represents God in the life of his child knows how to say no. And when there is strong rebellion and positive reinforcement fails, sometimes painful discipline is administered. As I read this book, I couldn't help but ask myself, why would such outstanding authors neglect the subject of firm, corrective discipline? I believe it's because they're fearful of, of the fact that in our culture, one of our most prevailing problems is child abuse. And many of us right here have had experience with parents who disciplined us that our experience bordered on child abuse. And please know I'm not in any way supporting that kind of discipline. In fact, that's the whole purpose of this series is to somehow try to give us a biblical perspective of how to do it and of being very serious about doing it God's way. So in this last message that I'm to bring, I want to give you rather quickly some 14, in fact, different points on some of the practical aspects of carrying out biblical discipline. Now, you should have your outline. It's Bill Gothard's outline that I brought home from the uh, pastor's seminar. And um, I commend it for your careful keeping and studying it and perhaps uh, having it apart. By the way, we'll have these available uh, with the tape series so that uh, if you have failed to pick yours up or you've lost it, you'll be able to fill it in again in the tape series. We dealt last week with the consequences for disobedience. And we talked about after the first offense last Sunday night, and I just mentioned, get alone with your child. Clarify the instructions. Convey grief for disobedience. And with eye-to-eye -eye contact, discipline is to be powerful communication, and it needs to be very personal. Number four, give only one warning before administering the defined discipline. And the final one, be prepared to follow through on biblical discipline. But uh, you know and I know that discipline requires more than one go-round. In fact, uh, it's very important that you be consistent and that you be always at it. That it's a part of your life. And so... There are going to be some second and third and perhaps even more times when you need to administer discipline over the same matter. Now, hopefully, 
the first time will correct it. But uh, you know that the temperament of the child often makes that uh, not so. But let me suggest some important things. And you'll want to fill in the blanks of your outline on these last 14 points. First of all, in subsequent offenses to the first one, act immediately after you hear about the offense. And that's so important. Don't say when you learn about some offense of your child, well, it happened two weeks ago or three weeks ago or even longer than that. So I guess I'll just let it pass. The moment you do that, you communicate to your child that uh, discipline's not really important. And if he can just hide it from you long enough, he'll get away with it. And one of the important principles of discipline is when you hear about it, an offense, correct it immediately. I mean by that as soon as it's possible. Can't always do it immediately. But in any kind of discipline, that's important. I remember a number of years ago having to correct a staff person for a rather serious problem that had happened several weeks before the time that I heard about it. But when I heard about it, immediately, I set up an appointment with that staff person and administered the discipline which I was responsible to administer. And a great lesson was learned, a drawing together upon important issues of the staff. So that's so important to be sure to follow through immediately. The second thing, bind Satan before entering into a discipline confrontation. That again is a very vital responsibility of a parent. If there's any time when the devil and his kingdom of darkness will try to intrude into the life of your child and build barriers and walls between you and your child, it's when you're administering discipline, which is so much like what God does to us. Satan hates that. He wants it to go bad. And because of the fact that as believers we're united with Christ, God has given us authority over darkness to bind the enemy, forbidding him to intrude into the life of your child. And we're responsible to be protectors of our children, but never more than when we're going to discipline them. I remember a number of years ago talking to a man who had some real problems in his life that he was seeking to correct. And we got to talking about his childhood and about his discipline from his parents. And he shared with me how that, that uh, when his parents would discipline him, that rage would be in his heart and cursing toward his parents and even plotting of how he was going to get even, even though on his face none of that was showing. That's what was going on inside. Now, where was that coming from? Doubtlessly controlled by some unknown, unseen, evil power of darkness. The enemy was seeking to put rebellion and cursing, and get even attitude into that child's heart. And he recognized it. The father that I'm speaking about, when he was old enough to correct his own children, he recognized that way back there, when he was a little boy, the enemy had been seeking to manipulate him and cause him to act in a rebellious, wicked manner against his parents' discipline. So remember that. It's a very urgent responsibility. Bind away the enemy. 
Number three, get a loan for correcting discipline. We mentioned that last Sunday night as one of the important parts under disciplining the first time. Don't do it before siblings in the family. Or even the, in most cases, I think only one parent should be in on a given discipline. So there's privacy and there's communication between the one who administers the discipline and the one being disciplined. There needs to be that, that dignity assigned to honor his desire not to have it made public, not to do it out where everybody can see it, but it's private and it's quiet and there's a deep dignity about it. Number four, establish personal responsibility for the offense. It's very, very wise when you discipline your child to get him to relate to you what he did in his words. And one of the things, one of the questions you can ask is, what did you do? What did you do? So that he begins to give back to you his sin in his own understanding, in his own words. Very important to establish personal responsibility. And the next one is tied in with that. Respect the appeal of his conscience. Now our conscience is one of those beautiful God-given parts of our person that needs to be honored and respected and understood as deeply as we can. Now most of us know that the conscience never tells you what is right and what is wrong. That depends upon your teaching. Your conscience only tells you that it's always right to do right and it's wrong to do wrong. So the conscience must be honored. And how do you do that? Well, let me read to you from Romans chapter 2 and verse 15, this statement about conscience. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also being witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them, take advantage of this wonderful ingredient God has invested in your child called his conscience. And appeal to his conscience. Now, how do you do that? Well, again, some practical questions. Such as, after he's related what he did, then ask him, was that fair? Was that honest? Was that kind? so that his conscience begins to work. Did that honor God? And you let that important investment of God in your child be alerted, sensitized, deepened. Emphasize parental responsibility to God. Now that's a very important thing that your child understands that when you discipline him, you're not just doing it out of your idea as a parent. He needs to know that God holds you accountable to discipline him. And uh, to read some verses out of Proverbs, like this one listed in your notes, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. So you see, son, what I'm doing is what God expects of me, and one day I'll be accountable to God, whether I did it well, whether I was faithful. You'll be responsible how you responded, but I'm responsible to discipline according to God's pattern, God's plan. Number seven, 
reflect grief, not anger. Now that's such an important part of discipline. That you not discipline in anger. If you do, as we're going to study just in a moment, you wound your child's spirit. And you actually may stiffen his will to resist you. And so you want to communicate, not anger. I think it's so wonderful to know that God never disciplines Christians in anger. That all took place at Calvary. Oftentimes you'll hear Christians say when they're going through some tough and hard times, well, God must be angry at me. It always makes me wince a little when I hear that. And if I'm in a situation where I can uh, speak to it without offending them or getting alone with them perhaps later, I always point out that God's not angry with a Christian when you undergo pain. Just the opposite is true. God is loving you. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And parents need to remember that's the way we're to do it. Like God does it. With love, not anger. It's proper to reflect grief. That it wounds you. I shared with you already in this series the time my father gave me my last spanking. And I was 11 or 12 years of age. And uh, I was... Uh, letting it be known that I was not enjoying it. But the thing that meant the most to me was when I looked at my dad. I'll never forget the tears coming out of his eyes. And his grief over having to discipline his son was bringing him deep hurt. And that did more for me than the spanking. Also, win over his will without breaking the spirit. Bill Gothard makes a great deal of this in his basic seminars. How important it is that when you discipline your children, you don't harm their spirit. You break their will. Bring their will to the place where they're willing to submit it to you. Now, what do you need to be careful about? First of all, never attack his person or his character. Never say things like, you're no good. Or why can't you be like your brother? Or why can't you be like your sister? Or what a dumb, ugly kid you are. Now, when you say things like that, and some of you here grew up under that kind of discipline, and it wounded you deeply. And when you've been wounded like that, oftentimes when you become a disciplinarian, you pull the same kind of mistake. And when you do that, you wound your child's spirit. And soon he begins to think he's no good. He's not really, as the scripture teaches, one who's of infant value to God, who's made in the likeness image of God, and one that God loves unconditionally. But he begins to feel worthless, unloved. And he begins to live out his wounded spirit in his rebellion. Hebrews 2.15 speaks about the seriousness of that problem in these words. Uh, where Hebrews 12.15, I'm sorry. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is always a sign of a wounded spirit. 
And uh, we're responsible to be careful not to do that. Number nine, know the causes behind breaking a child's spirit. And a few are listed. Anger, we've already touched on. Inconsistency. Don't fall into that trap of one time letting it pass without scarcely a notice and the next time severe discipline. All you do is wound your child's spirit. He never knows where he stands with you. Injustices. Broken promises. Oh, how we need to be careful. We don't make our make a promise to our child. We're going to take him fishing. Or we're going to go to the fair. And then it comes and dad's busy. And they don't go fishing. And they don't go to the fair or whatever it was. And you've wounded your child's spirit. And then I've listed never asking your child for forgiveness. That's so tragic that you can go through or your child can go through the whole gamut of living in your home as your little child your teenager, your young person, and never have dad say, son or daughter, I really blew it. I'm so sorry I lost my temper. Or son, I really need to ask you to forgive me for forgetting about our fishing trip. We wound spirits when we do that, and that's a crushing thing, a very harmful thing. Number 10, crying is God's remedy for clearing the conscience. Have you ever heard a parent, or maybe you've said it, if you don't quit crying, I'll give you some more. When you do that, you have, you have failed to recognize tears are God's way of helping a child clear his conscience. And never interfere with tears. Let them flow. Encourage it. See, it is something that's desirable, not something that's harmful. Here are some signs of willfulness that indicate that the discipline has not been effective. Temper tantrums. Refusal to cry. You ever had a child when you disciplined him, he just bit his lip? Refused to give you the satisfaction that he was going to cry? There are problems present when that happens. Threats or acts of retaliation. Bitter resentment. Now that ought to wound you when your child acts that way, but don't press it too hard at any given time. Don't feel you have to bring that child into total submission every time you discipline him. If you notice those things, you better resort back to prayer and waiting. As Psalm 27 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Give God an opportunity to work through your discipline in the life of your child. Also under that, tears of remorse only. Sometimes tears come and they're only tears because it got caught or because the discipline was administered. We want to see tears of repentance where the child recognizes that he's offended God by his disobedience as well as offending his parents. And if you doubt the difference between that, compare the repentance of Peter as over against that of Judas. One was remorse, and the other was repentance. In difficult cases, continue to express your grief. Pray much for the corrective process 
and ask the Lord to give insight to the child and to you. That's so important. Wait. Pray. Don't feel that all of the discipline has to accomplish its purpose in every single situation. Sometimes you may even sense that it has failed. Take into consideration the temperament of the child. What works in one child's life may not work at all in the other child's life. And that recognition can be very helpful in guiding you, giving you insight as to how to discipline each child in the uniqueness of its temperament and his personality. And then here's another important one under this difficult case situation. Examine your life to make sure you're not showing similar response to God's reproofs. You see, you can be administering discipline while you're rejecting God's discipline. You're not responding to it in your own life. And sometimes the Lord may seek to correct you by making your discipline role in the life of your child difficult. So it's important to look at what God is doing in your own life. Give comfort after repentance. How important that is. That's the way God does for you and me. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those of us who are exercised by God's discipline. God always rewards. God encourages. And so, use words, affectionate touch, and forgiving understanding of your child after discipline has accomplished its purpose in your life, child's life. And then finally, Encourage accountability by proper restitution. I mentioned the boys in the neighborhood who broke one of our windows here and came in immediately and reported it to our administrative secretary. And they hadn't been gone but a short time until a telephone call came from the mother with the understanding that restitution was going to be made, that the window would be paid for. Now that's a tremendous lesson in discipline. And I'd like to know that family better because good discipline is going on there. I'll never forget when I was a boy. Uh, my father had instructed us not to throw the ball up on the roof because he was fearful that not only might it have harmful effect upon the roof, but uh, it we might miss and hit a window. And I thought, well, my dad's smart, but he doesn't know how good an arm I have. And I'll never forget the day. You know, God does this to us, I'm sure, at times, just to teach us the important role of parents. But I wound up with all of my strength to throw that ball clear over the house if I could. Well, I missed, and it went through not only the casement window of the house, but the storm window as well. Broken bolt. Well, my father didn't spank me for that. He did give me a very firm talking to, but he said, Mark, you know you've been saving for that bicycle. And I had, wouldn't you know it, I had saved just enough that it paid for the glass that broke both of those windows. Then on top of that disappointment, my father had me help him take the old glass out and reglaze the new windows in. And what was a very uh, deliberate act of disobedience became a strong teaching tool to a son who had to start all over again saving for the bicycle. So, understand discipline. 
and the tremendous importance of it in the role of a parent and in the role of your child. And seek always to use God as your example of how to do it right. Be ready to make corrections when you understand what needs to be corrected. And sometimes it might even mean a very intimate time of getting alone with your child and apologizing for ways it was done wrongly and that you're going to seek to do it right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how wonderful to have a Heavenly Father on this Father's Day who teaches us the role of being disciplinarians. Give us wisdom and spiritual discernment. We would ask you, loving Heavenly Father, to use this series in the families here a part of our own church to great advantage and profit. Help children to respond to discipline well and parents to administer it well. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.